Life Out Loud is a literary nonfiction podcast series that features real student stories. Born in a John Jay College creative nonfiction writing classroom in the fall 2015 semester, Life Out Loud seeks to diversify the perspectives typically shared in the CNF genre. Our project aims to amplify voices seldom heard through artful truth-telling simply because we believe that all stories matter. We make them, and they make us. You can always listen at lifeoutloudpodcast.com. Hi there, and welcome back to Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true, stories. I'm Amanda, one of your hosts today. And I'm Kiara, also one of your hosts today. Hi everyone, I'm Karen. I'm Sashiella, also one of your hosts today. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah. Hi everyone, I'm Riley. Excited for this ninth episode of the fourth season entitled, In the Years That Followed. In this episode, two authors look at how things have unfolded in ways they didn't quite expect in their new worlds. This story is by an author who's choosing to be anonymous. Anonymous is a senior at John Jay College who's graduating with a degree in English and who's minoring in journalism. Reading, writing, and traveling are her main passions. She hopes to one day write a mystery novel while traveling along the coast of Spain. This short story is just her beginning. Let's take a listen to Anonymous story entitled Box of Hope. Well, Dana? Dana! My mom calls from the other end of the hallway. Can you help me bring these light boxes down? She always calls me by my full Montenegrin name when she's serious. And if there was any day for us to be serious, today would be it. Box over box with labels of clothing and pictures surrounding our hallway start looking blurry as I stare right into them. Wherever I turn, I feel like I'm in someone's way, but no one is in mine. (sighs) Today is the day. Before, the hallway was always beige with gold picture frames holding the chubby face of my little brother Exxon, school pictures from the first and third grade. But today, those frames are in one of those boxes wrapped in bubble wrap underneath the mirror I would look into every day before leaving the house for school. Today, Exxon doesn't look as happy as he did in his school pictures. He's sitting on the floor besides me, holding my hand behind the box labeled shoes but I'm holding his tighter. My mom, Aziza, keeps calling my name from the bedroom that was hers and my father's for 21 years. She wants me to help her bring the boxes down and into the moving truck that is downstairs waiting. And even though it's just a stupid box, I don't respond to her. I want to, but I just can't. I just keep staring at the light box in front of me and not moving, not answering, not doing anything. Because if I say no to her, then I would have her sad eyes looking back at me. But if I say yes, and I actually move that box, then it's like I'm helping my parents get divorced. I know that's not true. This has nothing to do with me. But that's what it feels like. So, I don't move. I look up at the empty side of the wall in the hallway. This side was always empty. Except on December 7th, 2007, the day Exxon was born. On that day, I stapled together eight sheets of blue construction paper and wrote, Welcome home, Exxon! with green markers and covered the corners with purple glitter. I then taped the sign to the empty side of the wall and sat exactly where I'm sitting now, anxiously waiting for my parents to come home with him for the first time. They were so happy that day home with their little sweet baby boy, and together living a life where they looked happy and content. (sighs) My mom is walking towards the kitchen, avoiding eye contact with Exxon and I. Her eyes are full, and her skin more pale than usual. I never noticed before today how she's beginning to age, not because she's old, but from life itself wearing her down, aging her more than time ever could. When my mom was 16 years old, she met my dad at his sister's house, and within a month, they were married. Together, they left Montenegro, known as Yugoslavia at that time, and came to America to start a better life. In Montenegro, she had her family with no education or money, but in the U.S., she had work opportunities waiting for her. It wasn't easy for her to leave. She had to risk her life escaping Montenegro with a fake passport and living with a far-related family in the States until my dad joined her 
and they found a place of their own. Here in New York, things were good for years. But then the bickering started, the family drama and the money problems. Mom worked as a supervisor for Guardian and my dad as a doorman. Slowly, it seemed that their lives were no longer the same. On nights when my mom would work late, my dad would get upset. Then she took the night shift, and it didn't sit easy with my dad. He worked from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m., and she would work from 5 p.m. to 12 a.m. They wouldn't see each other during the weekdays, and it started their route to divorce. My dad would easily get jealous of the employees she worked late with, but we needed the money, and this position offered her more. After years of only properly seeing each other on the weekends and spending those weekends fighting, Mom just decided she'd had enough. At first, I didn't even believe it. She was always the type who was quick to get mad or to think the world was ending when obviously we're all still here. Maybe that's why I was always closer to my dad. What? No, I thought on the night I found out. I was sitting in my room when I heard my parents in their room arguing louder than ever before. I kept hearing the word divorce, divorce, divorce. And before I knew it, they both came out, came into my bedroom where I was sitting with Exxon and my sister Dina. Things aren't working out, Mom says. We can't go on like this, acting like everything is okay. I blacked out on the rest of what they were saying because I knew it was bullshit. I didn't want anything sugarcoated, but for the sake of my 10-year-old brother, that's how we kept it. I remember thinking, how could this be? We weren't like the American families we watched on TV who would get divorced all the time. In Montenegrin culture, divorce is an embarrassing thing to do. How is she going through with this? Why? We blamed mom. How could we not when the words divorce came out of her mouth first? My dad didn't want it. On the day mom began packing things around the house, he said to me, I wish we could have found a better way to go about this for the sake of Exxon, for the sake of you and Dina. He looked at me, and it was the first time I saw my dad break down. I couldn't remember a time I saw my dad cry before this. No one wanted this, except her. I even started wondering if she had another family on the side, since she didn't put all her effort into this one. When the divorce became final and she decided to move out into her own apartment, she became a different person. No longer did she seem to care about the effects this was having on everyone else or how to look at us the same. Now, it was all business. Just a few weeks ago, she spent the entire day not speaking to me, giving me the silent treatment like I was in the wrong. Maybe I was in the wrong for something during this process. I did a lot of yelling and crying. A lot of throwing things against the wall when I heard her say something I didn't want to hear, like, things won't be that different, and before you know it, this will all be normal. No, I was sick of hearing that this is okay and tired of being told things will be normal. How dare she ruin all that this family had? And now, here, today, the day that she's moving just a few blocks away, she's asking me to help her bring boxes downstairs, like I don't have anything better to do? Like, I want to help her dismantle our lives. <sighs> she's dressed in all black like she's headed to the funeral of her own marriage. The fridge is empty and ready to be brought downstairs, she tells one of the movers. My father, who is now sitting at the kitchen table next to the window with a beer labeled Modelo on it, yells, The fridge was a gift from my side of the family. Leave it here. The movers ignore him as they continue walking out with it. I tilt my head over to look at my dad, but he's not looking at the fridge. He's watching every leaf shake in the wind outside. My dad was my hero. He was born in Montenegro in 1973, with my grandparents couldn't even afford to give him a proper pair of shoes to go to school with. He'd wear a ripped pair of sneakers through the village of Katerkol to get to school and work every day. Then, when he turned 19, several men came into our village and took him, along with his cousins and neighbors, to fight the war with Serbia. No warning, no questions, no time to say goodbye to anyone. They just took them. My dad didn't want to fight in the Serbia versus Bosnia war because we were all one country at one point. 
he would have had to help kill his own people. But my dad was smart. He always had a plan. The man who was able to map out an escape plan while he was training for a war for which he was a prisoner, who was able to run away to his sister's house in Ukin, who met my mom when she was only 16 and snuck them both to America so they didn't have to be affected by the war, looks hopeless right now. His eyes show that he is holding secrets, and the bags underneath them show that he hasn't been sleeping. At the table that used to sit near where he is now, every day at 4.45 p.m., just 15 minutes before my dad would come home from work, I would spread out all my books on the table, papers, pencils, all of it, just so that when he would come home, the first thing he would see after a long day of work was me doing my homework. On those days, he would walk in, kiss me on the head, and tell me that he was proud. He will remind me that he came to America to offer us a better future. And he would remind me that he fought through so many obstacles to put this roof over my head and to give me the education I'm getting, the one I was working for right at this table. That table was now in pieces inside a moving truck, ready to go to my mom's new apartment on Avenue V. But the man who worked and fought his whole life for everything he's ever had didn't fight for my mom. Not at all. Why? When she said that she wanted to leave, he never stopped her. He never told her that they could work on things or that things can change for the sake of our family. Instead, he just let her go. (sighs) My mother walks out of the kitchen and takes a long look at the boxes still on the floor. Vildena, she says, more curtly this time. Please grab one of the boxes and bring it outside. Don't make me say it again. No, I want to scream. I don't want to help her bring boxes out. I don't want to move from the spot I'm sitting in, ever. I don't want to put a box into the moving truck or help with moving things around and changing our lives. I'm not helping you with this divorce. I want to scream at her. But like my dad, I don't say much. One of the movers in a bright orange shirt is now walking past me, carrying out the refrigerator slanted across a silver steel hand truck. Where should I leave this? He asks me, holding something small in his hand. He's holding one of the magnets my mom forgot on the fridge. The magnet, heavy with the faces of Disney's Fab Five around it, hold our family picture from our 2009 Disney World trip. The whole family. We are all so happy in this picture. Even my parents. Look at my dad's smile and my mom's bright eyes. This was only nine years ago. Were they faking it? Or were they happy because, well, how could you not be happy when in Disney World? Either way, their smile looks genuine and we look like a family here. Maybe this was the last time. In the photo, my sister and I wear matching green shirts with sparkling Mickey ears while my parents stand behind my brother in the carriage. After a long day of riding all the popular rides, we'd sat in front of the castle, ready for the Dreams fireworks show to begin. As the lights went down that day, I turned around to let my parents know that I was excited for it to finally begin, and I witnessed my dad giving my mom a kiss on the cheek. No. No, they weren't faking it. They were happy that day. I remember. I take the picture outside of the magnet and hide it in my room. I want to keep it to look at it sometimes. Or maybe I won't, but I don't want it to get lost. I want to know where it is. I carefully sandwich it underneath my jewelry box in my room before slowly returning to the boxes. They're still there, eyeing me, and I can hear my mom struggling to get some of them through the door. I sigh. Whether I help or not, she's going. This is happening. And so, I do it. Maybe it's in the name of the photo. Those smiles, that kiss on the cheek, the hope that maybe we can all be happy again. Maybe in new ways, but for whatever reason, I do it. I pick up the box. And slowly, steadily, I start walking toward the door with it. It feels heavy and rough between my fingertips. The crook tape that was rushed onto it is definitely something my mom would do.
In the hallway, she's standing there, putting small bags into bigger bags, with the boxes still beside her. This time, she doesn't even look up or bother to ask me to take more down. She's so efficient today, like she can't wait to get out. Does she even care about what she's doing to me? To us? And that's when she gives it to me. The envelope she hands me displays my name in script letters. She tells me to hold on to it, to read it when I have time. But, of course, I can't wait. I leave the boxes and rush to open it. Inside, I find a letter to me from her. Dear Spur, which means my love in Albanian. All the words blur together I'm reading so fast. You are my firstborn and will always be the one who taught me what love was on a deeper level. I wish I could have always been as happy as I was the day I had you. I wish I could always see you laugh the way you would talking about the time the dog chased you and Bessa when we went to Montenegro. I hope you always remain passionate about school, music, and traveling. In the envelope are also little journal entries she cut out to give me from 1996. We brought you home today for the first time, she wrote on the first entry. You cried the entire car ride home, but now you finally slept. You are so beautiful, and I'm so thankful. Beyond her hopes for me are also snippets explaining her love for my father. In the letter, she notes my father and her always wanted to put me and Exxon and Dina first, and they worked together for as long as they could to provide everything that we needed. In the letter, she asked me not to hate her. I place a letter near the Disney photo and slowly go back out to the war zone that is my house. I pick up another box from the floor and hand it to my brother. My look tells him that we should help, that we should do this together. And so he does. Together, we help my mom bring all the rest down. Every single remaining box. When we're done, I tell my mom I'll follow her back to her place to see it for the first time and help her unpack. She looks at me and smiles, a real smile, the kind of smile I realized I haven't seen in a while, and says there is hope and we will be okay. Aww. Yeah. That's Aww. really sweet. That yeah. sweet. This story represents the struggles of many families nowadays. Due to financial stress, a lot is taken on. New jobs, new hours, which takes a toll on the marriage and children. What are your experiences with this? And based on those, where do you stand on children knowing what is going on from the start? Would you want to know and be talked to as difficulties happen? Do you think it would cushion the blow that obviously affected this narrator? Can anything make something as life-changing as divorce better? What do you guys think? I do think that children should have some kind of knowledge of what's going on. I don't think they should be blindsided. Like, if they're in the dark all the time and all of a sudden it's like, oop, we're getting a divorce, that, Mm -hmm. to them, kind of ruins the relationship even more. But I do think there's boundaries that should be drawn as to, okay, how much do they know and how explicitly is it said? How is it put over? Um, Personally... I've been very um, open about my parents' relationship and my relationship with them. So I think one of the things that my mom did with me was she was very open. She told me everything that was going on. And there, it's both kind of bittersweet because you get to learn who a person actually is. And you're kind of sometimes forced to even mature like yeah. faster. Mm-hmm. But I would have rather taking it that way than be totally blindsided by it right mm-hmm. yeah because like also even if if you aren't told because i think that's that's kind of where i lean towards it i feel like even if you aren't told like kids aren't dumb so yeah. they can hear mm-hmm. all of these things they know yeah. that yeah. mom is upset with dad or that you know my parents are going through something mm-hmm. um or they hear it and they're they don't know what to make of it because mm-hmm. they aren't being told this is how like, if there's yelling, or even if it's, like, a discussion where, like, mm-hmm. parents just, like, are just trying to talk to each other, there's no, um, I think, typically, like, there isn't, like, we were communicating, or we yeah. were, like, yeah, like, I yelled at your parent, 
So that wasn't the best way to go about it. But there isn't like that kind of communication. But so kids are like hearing this and they're like, I don't know what to do. Like the author in this story, she's like listening to parents like yeah. argue behind closed doors, but still listening. Right. Um, and some, I'm sorry, but yeah, some kids are very brave and they'd ask about it. They're like, mm-hmm. hey, well, what was that about? Like I was one of those kids who wanted yeah. to know. You know what I mean? So it's not like kids are so shy about it now where they're like going to hide in the room. I mean, some kids are, but some kids are very curious about what's going on. They always want to know and be kept in the loop. So I think for me, it lessens the blow if you are honest with your children and tell them that, hey, this is what's going on, but not to the point where you're like bashing the other person, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's your just mom being, sucks. yeah, <laughs> like it's not that kind of thing. It's not that kind of thing at all. It should just be a mature conversation and being able to let them feel like they can handle it, right? mm-hmm. but not being too raw about it. Yeah, because like mm-hmm. imagine you're hearing like the people that you love the most. I'm sure we've all heard this, like screaming at each other, and then like maybe your name is in the mix, and you're like, "Did I make the screaming happen?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you're little, it's like you don't know what's 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 happening. Yeah, you know? and it's definitely easier to internalize it when you are younger because you're like, "Wow, is it because of me? Did yeah. I do something wrong? Is that you know because I'm I'm I was born, so it's like, are they fighting because of me? You know, you feel like a burden, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right." Yeah, but it draws us to the side, like, I'm expensive. Like, do, to, to feel like, oh, the burden of you being their child is, like, right. what's making that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so within this, the par- author's parents are extremely unhappy in this marriage. However, it's something that really hurt the children as well, as, as we've been talking about. Um, and sometimes as kids, we can't really see these situations through the parents' perspective. And I know many of us can't necessarily speak from the parenting perspective just yet um, and what that strife is like. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've all been raised by parents and guardians in some capacity. So do you think that unhappy couples who are parents should stay together for the children? Like, what's that like? Like, is is that something that, like, we hear it sometimes. No. Sorry. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, well, my wife's uncle is married to this woman. Um, they have a child. She's around 15 years old. Um, but they've been unhappy for years. Like, mm-hmm. The wife sleeps in the child's bed and has been sleeping in the child's bed for like five years now. Like they're very unhappy. They're always fighting. And I don't believe that's just, I don't believe that that's how how you should raise a child together. Mm -hmm. Because if, you know, it's not like she's oblivious to what's going on. Like her mom's literally sleeping in her bed. She knows something is wrong with that. And then when she grows up, she's going to think it's normal to just be unhappy when mm-hmm. in reality it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally believe in um, making sure that you're happy. I mean, I understand why some people would do that, but at the same time, I don't believe in completely neglecting yourself and your happiness mm-hmm. to keep your child happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually want to speak from my experience. Um, so actually it's funny because like my parents gone through the same thing. And I know that at one point, especially when I was younger and my siblings were younger, um, I knew that my mom at one point stopped loving my dad. And it was more and she even told me this herself. She told me that the reason she stayed with him was because, you know, during that time, she didn't have that knowledge or like she didn't know English that during that time she felt like she was like trapped and she knew that she had to take care of me and my younger sister. And it's like my father was the only one bringing in income and like money. So it's like, without that, who would she turn to? And then during that time, she had no one to go to, no friends, no family. So she had no other choice but deal with it throughout all these years. And she managed to. And, you know, even as a little kid, I noticed the things going on, the arguments and, like, the screaming and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, my mom managed to make it work, mm-hmm. you know. And as years, now speaking to present day, things are better than they were before. But, I mean, I don't know how my mom managed to do it. And sometimes I wonder, like, what if my mom did leave? how different would my life be right now because in the end my mom put me and uh, my sisters before herself and her happiness she wanted the best for us and she stopped um worrying about herself and yeah she managed to make it work and here we are yeah yeah i think it depends really on on the couple and i guess how how long they've been with each other because i do agree with amanda that like you should not suffer you know just to make like you still you have to be Right, like you have to be spiritually, emotionally, like healthy in order for your kid to have a, a good, um, you know, growing up. And I know from my perspective, like I can tell how much my mom and dad still like have love for each other. But at the same time, I'm like, no, I, I would rather you like find somebody that like yeah. 
is gonna love you like yeah. you know like the way you should be deserve you know because like yeah. now growing up you're like no you you deserve better than than what you endured in the past so definitely yeah. i could also relate to the idea of okay parents wanting to stay together for their kids because that's what happened with my parents they have been together for 20 plus years but it wasn't a happy 20 plus years they had moments mm -hmm. and i saw that growing up but they also had moments which weren't the best for a child to see or even know existed and to this day i have like conversations with my mom constantly i'm like hey why did you do it because i think from my own curiosity i'm curious behind her reasoning for staying because most of the unhappiness came from her mm -hmm. because like i shared with you multiple times my dad was not the best partner to mm -hmm. her so I was just very curious as to, okay, well, why did you stay? And she would always just mention, like, well, I wanted you guys to grow up in, a, like, a family life and a family home. But I even tell her now, I think that it's more damaging that way to make that child stay in, like, such a position rather than, I guess, separate and co-parent, mm -hmm. which might have been healthier mm -hmm. than staying and having them witness what you go through and mm -hmm. then you have to go through it as well. Mm -hmm. So I think staying for the kids is not the best idea at all mm -hmm. there's no way that okay rekindling is happening and if you recognize that you should leave you should not feel obligated to stay because you share a child with that person mm -hmm. yeah uh well from my perspective or my experience um i recently kind of experienced um unfaithfulness in the family mm -hmm. So I think, and it, it didn't happen, even though my parents had like a lot of arguments when I was growing up, this thing happened only recently now as an adult. And when it first happened, I initially thought like my mom would leave and we would kind of be like, I thought like this is something that like I kind of was maybe sort of expecting for a while. I thought because my mom sometimes like would throughout the year, she'd be like, oh, I'm going to leave this house or whatever and then when this finally happened i thought it was actually going to happen but then nothing actually did happen and now it's all kind of back to normal and we mm -hmm. pretend nothing happened mm -hmm. and i think that really puts distrust of like the family unit and distrust of love really and in a person in a you know child of the that kind of family so i mean i don't know maybe if my mom did leave i would have more faith in their kind of what relationship they did have mm -hmm. before this happened mm -hmm. or i would have more faith in you know just like family in general mm -hmm. but you know yeah yeah that impact of that facade is like really impactful yeah yeah so with that thank you all for talking about these like really hard topics um and of course for the author for sharing this piece with us This piece is by a returning author to Life Out Loud, Evelyn. Evelyn is a junior majoring in English with a minor in digital media and journalism. After taking her first creative writing course here at John Jay as a sophomore, she decided to take creative nonfiction with Professor Madrazo, where she really dug deep as a writer and challenged herself to write about moments in her life that she would not normally share with the public. Born in Mexico, raised in Queens, New York, she loves going to rock and metal concerts with her friends. Her favorite places to spend time in the city include Union Square, the East Village, and Washington Square Park. She also enjoys spending time with her mother and sisters on weekends and taking them out to museums or parks. Evelyn also enjoys changing her hair color every now and then. Her favorite hair color she's done was blue, and she hopes to do it again soon. You can also catch her listening to some of her favorite bands like Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, The Smiths, or The Cure. Recently, Evelyn has found a new passion for playing the electric guitar, and she also loves attending poetry nights in the city on her own or with a friend. This story hits on sensitive subjects that can be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Let's take a listen to this piece entitled Telenovelas. I sit on my cold, wooden living room floor with my neck arched back. I am just a few inches away from the screen of a huge, fat TV where my mother is watching her usual telenovelas. Oh, look! It's the one I like. Wait, today's Friday? Yes. That means my mom and I will be alone for a while. Dad never comes home on Fridays. 
Mom says he works late, and it's why I don't see him some nights. But why does Dad come home in the mornings then? Does Dad really work for that long? Poor Dad. He must be so tired. The theme song of the telenovela fills my ears. It's almost like a lullaby. Here comes my favorite part of the song. A red lipstick begins to write the letter M on the screen, and as I sit even closer, I admire how neatly it's been written on the screen. After a few seconds, the letters U, J, E, and R appear on the bright screen spelling out Mujer, Woman. A small photo portrait of a woman with chin-length blonde hair and bangs that make her face look almost symmetrical appears on the screen after the credits are over. Together, both my mom and I stare back at her. I turn to look at my mother, who's sitting very silently. She does not say a word to me. I watch my mother all the time with intensity. In the kitchen, she cooks my father's meals when he comes back home from work. My mother never brings anyone over to the apartment, though. She's always ready for guests, but it's always just us. But on nights when my father would not come home, the nights she didn't need to get dinner ready, it wasn't just us. It was also all the characters in Mujer. She sits on the only couch we have in our living room, the long couch where I read Clifford books to my baby sister. She sits ready for our guests, ready for the woman of Mujer. When we watch telenovelas, I meet women who end up in hospital beds with bruises or bloody noses. A nasal cannula is placed on a woman who needs oxygen after passing out at a bar in one episode. I see women partying at nightclubs with tight bright colored dresses and glasses of light brown liquid halfway filled. Then there are parts of the show that my mom doesn't want me watching. She shields me by telling me to check up on your sister, who is sleeping in her olive green crib. I stomp to the only bedroom in our apartment and sit beside my sister, silently, waiting till I can go back. I don't want to miss what's happening, mom. How much will I miss? Over and over, I replay the last scene I've seen so that it stays imprinted in my memory. I have to be on track when I'm allowed to come back to the living room. I turn to my sister, who has her eyes closed with long coffee brown eyelashes shielding them. Finally, my mom calls me back. On the screen, one of the women at the nightclub gets into a fight with one of her friends after finding out that her boyfriend was going out with her. Their bright colored dresses flash in different directions as they begin to grab and pull at each other's hair. <sighs> I enjoy these nights because they are filled with silence, but also with the voices of the woman on the TV. If I listen hard enough, I can hear the light buzzing coming from the ceiling light. It's not drowned out by the screaming or the crying of the show. There is always a lot of eye contact between my mom and I. We don't speak much to each other, but we look at one another from time to time as we watch the woman on the screen. On these nights, I do not have to worry about the heavy footsteps walking down the hallway. I do not have to stay locked in my room. I do not have to wake up to the sounds of screaming coming from the kitchen. I am free to sit on my living room floor and watch my mom's favorite show with her. Once the hour-long show comes to an end, I slide my body around, facing her, only to find her rising from her seat to check the time on the digital clock with its green numbers yelling out the time at us. Silence. On the screen, he pushes through the door violently, letting the door slam behind him. His wife is sweeping the floor, and her body leaps to the sound of the slamming. Where were you? You didn't come on time for dinner, mi amor, she begins to say gently to her noticeably irritated and angry husband. You don't ever question my whereabouts, he replies, grabbing hold of her arm. I can come home when I want to, and you can do nothing about it. You hear me? She tries to wiggle her arm free from his strong grasp. What is wrong with you? She yells at him. He takes out a tall bottle of whiskey and pours himself a shot. With the bottle in his hand, he points towards her, commanding to get his food ready. Because he's hungry. His wife obediently and silently walks to the kitchen to serve his meal. When my mother crossed over the border with me in her arms, I was only a year old. I was a chubby baby whose pale feet could not fit in shoes. My mother says that my feet looked like tiny stuffed tamales. I never walked with two shoes on because I'd eventually kick them off my feet. While in the desert, hiding from the patrol officers who hunt for people like us, people only trying to escape the hardships of their motherland, I said my first word. Papa, papa, papa. I kept repeating, my fists in the sandy dirt on the desert ground. See, sí, mija, you'll see your papa soon, my mom's friend whispered to me. She covered my mouth with her hand, but that didn't stop me from talking. I'd begin to jump up and down using the only strength I had for my chunky legs. Papa, 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 I'd repeat in a muffled voice with the woman's hand lightly over my mouth. 
This story would become one of my mother's favorites to tell, and I don't think I'll ever get tired of hearing her repeat those same words and syllables from her lightly cinnamon-tinted lips. I love hearing the story of little me and those two brave mujeres making our way towards New York City, the place that would later become my new home. To this day, my mother is still in contact with the woman who was on the journey when we crossed over. On Christmas gatherings, when her friend comes over with her four children and husband, the stories of that month-long trip are accompanied by ponche, a Mexican punch made from cane sugar, fruits, and spices. In the Mexican telenovela, Mujer, each episode is a different story about a woman, and each conflict is different. Most characters in the telenovela are rich and live in the city. Scenes take place in luxurious restaurants or expensive nightclubs where drugs are sold and women are flirtatious. In over-exaggerated proposal scenes, men would bungee jump to their girlfriends and ask to marry them once the fireworks ended. The Mexico we left behind was not that one, though. My parents grew up in a small village where everyone knew each other by name. The house my mother lived in was right beside a church, the one the village is known for. It's the same church where I farted loudly on my uncle's girlfriend's lap during the middle of a silent mass when I was only seven months old. Little girls walked the streets with worn-out black sandals, dry-cut lips from the cold, bitter air. Some young women would wear new dresses that they brought with the money their husbands sent to them from the U.S. Excited, they showed off their dresses with their only pair of heels they owned. Fairs and markets are held every weekend where brothers and sisters walk the streets together buying spices or meat with the little money they had. Kids ran around looking for the man selling candy for a few cents each. Stray dogs roamed the streets searching for scraps of food others left behind. Telenovelas do not show this side of my country. No, telenovelas only show fantasies. My head rests on my mother's shoulder, tired after staying up with her waiting and making sure dad gets home safely. The light from the TV screen irritates my eyes. It is late at night and he is not home yet. I reach for the burgundy red curtains and pull them back just enough to see the men at the pizzeria in front of us begin to close for the night. Where is he? After watching the screen all night with my mother, she is now asleep until our dog begins to bark. Heavy footsteps walk up the stairs and my mother wakes up in a jolt knowing fully well who is at the front door. I hope my sisters are in bed. I quietly walk into their room and find both my sisters fast asleep. Where were you? Do you know how late it is? My mother says, pointing at the clock. It's close to two o'clock in the morning. What was he doing all this time? The smell of bacon from work at the breakfast carts where he makes morning sandwiches hits me as he walks clumsily past me, not realizing I am there, watching him. I loathe him for lying to me again about his whereabouts, for making up excuses just to go out and drink with his friends. It's not just mom he is lying to anymore. No, he now chooses to lie to me. His own daughter. I, I'm, I'm home, aren't I? Don't start with me, Elia, he says as he fumbles with his words. The smell of cheap beer hits me next, making me step back a few steps from him. The smell is so familiar to me, yet my body still rejects it. As if it were some kind of bacteria my body did not want to have any contact with. Why didn't you answer my calls? You can't just return one call? Una? My mother yells. He struggles to balance himself while standing in our kitchen. Quiero comer, my father says. Is there food for me? No, there's nothing. Go shower and get some sleep. You smell terrible, she says, pinching her nose with her fingers. I look at my father, hoping his facial expression does not change. Once his lower lip begins to stick out like a kid who gets upset when things don't go their way, the presence of danger makes its appearance in the atmosphere. You are my wife, and your job is to serve me when I want to. What the hell have you been doing all day that you couldn't cook one damn meal for me? My father says, raising his voice. My mom looks him straight in the eye, fully aware that talking back to him will just make it worse. Obediently, she turns the stove on and asks me to take the tortillas out of the fridge. No, mom. Don't. Don't listen to him. Let him starve for all I care. I stand there feeling helpless wanting to stand up for my mom, but deep down, I can't. I'm scared. My mother is your wife, not your maid. She is the mother of your children, the ones you don't even care to love. You come into our home and act like you have some sort of dominant power over us? I won't, 
stay quiet forever. My hand is trembling as I hand her the package of tortillas. I fear what will happen next. I fear leaving her alone with this person. Go to your room, Evelyn. I'll be fine here, my mother says softly to me. My beloved, beautiful mother, with her sad, cinnamon-tainted lips, gives me a smile that tells me she is weary. It is not the smile of the woman a mujer, the woman who laugh and smile as they go on a new daring adventure in the city. I wonder how long she can withstand the same occurring nights like this. She doesn't deserve a man who treats her that way. Screw you, Dad. In one telenovela scene, a young girl sleeps peacefully with gray bedsheets covering half her face. Her dad walks slowly and quietly inside his daughter's room, hoping his footsteps do not wake them up. He is still wearing his suit after a long day at work. He is not drunk after work. He leans towards her and kisses her lightly on the forehead. He whispers, Te quiero, and calmly walks out the room, closing the door gently. Sometimes, I think about the girl in the telenovela who gets a full night of sleep knowing her father will come home every night. <sighs> a thin white ray of light welcomes itself in my bedroom, letting me know that the kitchen light is still on. I clumsily grab my phone to check the time. It's an hour past midnight. Quietly, I open the door to find my father sitting at our kitchen table alone. A half-empty glass bottle of beer stands on the kitchen table. With his head down, he stares at his feet. He has taken his black boots off, exposing his thick, gray, dirty socks. His chubby, pink, flushed face reflects back at me. I can see it in his face. He is tired and exhausted. Sometimes my father's actions are understandable to me. He had an unpleasant childhood, and he never fails at explaining it to me over and over again. I can never look him in the eye while he tells me his stories of the past. Sometimes, he tells me when he is sober, and other times, he tells me after drinking a couple of beers. My grandpa was abusive and an alcoholic. He has no fond memories with my grandpa. I see a tear begin to fall down his face. It pains me to see my father this way, knowing he is drowning in his own pain. I want to fix him. I want to help him overcome his childhood traumas. I look away quickly, not daring to look at his eyes. Those eyes of him have some sort of magnetic power that can instantly pull me in. When I look into those eyes, his suffering and desolation that seems to fill his soul can invade my bones and organs. I want to hug my father and tell him that everything is going to be okay. My father decided to come to the United States at the age of 18. With no money in his pockets, he went out to search for a job. Luckily for him, a friend of his let him stay at his place for a few nights. I remember hearing him tell my mom about the nights he came home from work hungry because he did not know how to order any food in English. Now with his broken yet understandable English, he laughs and shares smiles with those same friends that only call him up for drinks. After staying for about a year in the country, he went back home to his family in Mexico. That's when he met my mother. The start of a new relationship in a telenovela makes me laugh. It's always the same. The guy meets an attractive woman and both start talking, showing interest in one another. After a few dates, the man proposes to her thinking she is the love of his life. A huge wedding is planned with hundreds of people in attendance. The huge ballrooms with its glass chandeliers show that the couple comes from a rich family. Oh, and let's not forget the church scene when a past lover of the soon-to-be bride interrupts the whole church ceremony, hoping to win her love back. My mother was friends with one of my father's sisters, and on the day my father came back to Mexico, she encouraged my mom to meet him. Knowing that he was coming back from the United States, she thought my dad would be stuck up just like the many others who came back already thinking they are better than anyone else. When they met, my mother tells me how polite he was to her. He served her dinner that was made by his own mother, whom he adores very much. She remembers him trying so hard to make conversation with her and how hard she was trying to show that she wasn't interested in him. Even after all the signs she was giving him, still he asked her out. He was eager to get to know my mother and with a smile and short laugh, she accepted. After a while, my mother began to have feelings for him and decided to start a relationship with him. Those months turned into a year, and then they got married. It was small, and only family members were invited. The party took place outdoors in the backyard where the dance floor was not a white marble floor like in the telenovelas. There was no 10-layer cake either. My mother wore a simple, cheap white dress that she came across a boutique and put on heels that were borrowed from one of her cousins. There was no expensive designer dress with a cathedral veil like in the telenovelas either. After a couple of months, poof, I appeared in mom's belly. But then the big news was announced. 
He has decided to go back to New York City. She wanted to go with him, but he wouldn't let her. He feared the risk of her losing the baby during the dangerous trip. Anything could happen on that trip. He knew that very well. He also knew he had to go back if he wanted to give her a better future, especially for the baby coming soon. He knew he had to go back to the place where he would have to work almost every day of the week to make sure he had enough money just to get by. To the place where he would spend special holidays alone until we came. Back to the place where he soon had to work way more than 40 hours a week and have no paid vacations. The place where the glow he had left in his eyes would soon disappear into the city night sky. It was doing that work all day, every day, where he'd meet his friends, the ones that were already alcoholics. The ones who had no family to come home to, so they did whatever they wanted with their money. But unlike them, my father did have a family to come home to, but that never stopped him from spending time with his alcoholic friends. It never stopped him from choosing the drinks over us, his own family. I close my bedroom door and lock it. I lay my head on the cool pillow and picture my father who was in the kitchen hearing my door lock. I envision him walking up to my door, wondering if I am still awake. Maybe hearing me cry. Maybe wondering if I know how sad he is. Or wondering if I'm sad too. But my gut tells me that he is not outside the door. He is likely cracking open another bottle. Does he even care about me? His own daughter? Can't you see that? That I'm hurting too? I need you, papa. The woman on the screen screams into her pillow as she sits on her bed. Her room is painted pink. Almost like a cotton candy pink similar to my own room. Her boyfriend just broke up with her and has admitted to loving someone else. She is in pain and struggles to breathe as her deep cries escape the depths of her fragile body. She is dressed in black clothing and black boots to complete her goth look. The black eyeshadow is smeared on the ends of her eyelids from wiping her tears. Her pitch black hair shines like the feathers of a black crow. Her style of clothing is very unique, mom, I say. I have my legs laid out on top of her thighs and surprisingly she does not push them off as she usually does. I wiggle my toes knowing damn well she finds it annoying, but still, I proceed. I had a cousin who used to dress that way back in Mexico. Used to listen to heavy metal all the time. Just like you, my mother replies back smiling. And don't wiggle your toes. She begins to laugh gently as I continue to wiggle them. With her arms, she pushes my legs off her, causing me to fall flat on the floor. Mom! She begins to laugh hysterically and holds onto her stomach. I pull myself up and watch the remaining seconds of the episode before commercials. I'm 15 years old and I still love when it's just me, my mom, and the woman on TV. In the show, she is dancing with her father. It is the day of her quinceañera and she's dancing in front of all her friends and family. Everyone is watching them, dancing to the rhythm of the song. Her gorgeous long sky blue dress sways on the dance floor. The tips of her silver heels poke out with every step she takes. Her father is talking to her daughter, saying how much he loves her. She thanks him for being there for her all the time. And she tells him that he is the best father a girl could ask for. As the slow-paced song ends, she begins to cry and her father hugs her tightly, kissing her on the forehead. In my orange quinceanera dress, I walk to the middle of the dance floor. With my father's hand on my waist, we begin to waltz to the music. No word is spoken between the both of us and I do not want to look him in the face. My gaze meets the guests who sit watching the special moment between the father and daughter. Some of my friends have their phones out, recording us. I dreaded dancing with my father on the day of my quinceañera. On the days prior to my big day, he was supposed to come to dance rehearsals. He never came because he was too tired. Dad argued against me having a quinceañera in the first place. He said it would be a waste of money. My mother never let him get in the way of achieving a quinceañera for me. There she was at every dance rehearsal with bags full of Chinese food she brought for everyone to eat. There she was making sure everything was paid for and assuring that the party would still happen. Nothing stopped her even if she had to do it alone, without her husband's help. When it's my turn to say a few words to the guests, thanking them for being here on a very special day, my mind is telling me to tell everyone that my father did not help at all for the party and that it was all my mom's effort that was put into making this possible. I want to out him in front of everyone. I want to embarrass him, but I stop myself as I talk into the microphone. My eyes are looking directly at my mom. In her black sparkly dress, she smiles sincerely at me. Thank you for making this happen, Mom. I will never forget this, I say. My father is next to her, looking down at the floor. <sighs> on the screen, the father of a young woman barges in the room with a worried look on his face. What's wrong, Iha? He asks her. Everything, Dad. Everything. 
she screams at the top of her lungs. He hugs her and with his hand he massages her back in slow circular motions. Her dad closes his eyes and whispers that everything will be okay. Her face is buried in his chest as she drowns in her tears. I stare at the screen, wondering what it feels like to have a father's warmth and comfort on days you need it most. Oh, hey, hija. How was school? Dad asks, not looking up from the TV screen. Good, I reply dryly. I don't tell him what's really going on at school. How every day I dread going to my math class where my trigonometry teacher finds a way to pick on me. How she says I wear too much black and sometimes comments about how scary I dress. I don't tell him about the days she makes fun of me for not being able to solve very easy and simple math problems. I don't tell him about the girls who spread rumors about me on social media. I don't tell him about my fear of walking the streets alone, fearing and seeing everyone as a threat to me, or about the multiple times I'm followed home by men when I'm walking home from school in the late afternoon, or even the countless panic or anxiety attacks I get when I feel like I have lost control of everything in my life. Why would I tell him? Just a few nights ago, my father came home drunk again, but that night he was aggressive. My mother, as usual, scolded him for his arrival time. And then I hear him say it. He tells her that he doesn't love her. In fact, he despises her. The only reason he is still here is because of his daughters. I hold my sister while she cries. I don't get sent out of the room anymore during Mujer, but I still check on her to make sure she is safe. No, I'm not telling him that I stormed out of Miss Lang's class today when she called me out for not studying enough and calling me a failure in front of the whole class. I stormed past him and into my room, onto my bed, where I put a hand on my right thigh where the mark is. I sit up and look at the thickly lined blood stain on my gray skinny jeans. Slowly and carefully, I pull them down. As the fabric slides against a deeply engraved cut on my skin, I wince in pain. Limping, I walk towards my desk and search for the sharpener blade hidden inside my jewelry box. Dry stains of leftover blood from last night still remain on the shiny silver blade. I stare at it. I take the blade out and hold it in between my thumb and index fingers tightly so that it doesn't fall on the floor. I need to keep the blade clean. I close my eyes and envision the violin. A violin being played with the bow, moving smoothly up and down the strings of the instrument. I envision my wrist as the violin being played and the blade as a bow. Still with my eyes closed, I allow the blade to play on my warm, sand-colored flesh. One, two, three, four, five. 11, 12. The sharp burning pain on my wrist wakes me up from making music. I look down and see the beautiful mess I have just created. I begin to laugh and choke on the tears I feel about to erupt from my tired, drained eyes. What have I done? My flamingo-painted room is my safe haven when I want to shut the world out. In my room, I get to play the music I want to as loud as I can. Some days, I blast rock tunes from bands like Motley Crue or Pearl Jam. I envision myself on a stage performing in front of hundreds of people, singing and rocking it out like my idols. But then my music and imagination are interrupted by shouts and yells coming from the kitchen. The familiar voices of my parents echo through my ears. Here we go again. I am 18 years old. In the novella, she is on the floor crying, covering her red cheek, the side that her husband slapped her on. He leaves the room, taking with him a bottle of whiskey. Her next-door neighbor hears the chaos that has occurred and barges in to help her neighbor up. How long are you going to take to realize that he will always hurt you? He doesn't love you. Look at what he has done to you, her neighbor says to her. I turn to look at my mother who is intensely watching the screen, the bags under her eyes illuminating from the side of her face. I know I have a paper due at midnight, but it is the only time I get to see her since she works all day now. My laptop sits on my lap. I reach for her soft hand and squeeze it tightly. If you have a paper to do, mija, go do it, my mother says to me, excusing me from the show. I don't want you staying up late again. I reach for my mother's cheek and place my hand on it. If you need anything, just call me, I tell her. She gives me a slight nod and smiles sincerely my way. Oh, how I love this woman. As I walk to my room, I catch a glimpse of my father in the hallway, but I don't say anything. I'm still listening to the last dramatic words of the show as the door closes. I can't just leave him. He is the father of mis hijos, my children, she says. He will change one day. They always do. Te prometo. I promise that he will change. Men like him, the other actress answers, men like your husband never change. I sit on my bed and begin to wonder, will he change? Will my father ever change? I search for a sign, 
any form of sign that will assure me that my mom will be okay, that my sisters will be okay, that I will be okay. But all I'm greeted with is a chilling silence. Thank you, Evelyn, for sharing this piece with us. Um, it was a blast. Well, not a blast. A blast is the right word to say. It was well done. Yeah. Yeah. Like you. Through it, you have these short vignettes that you braid in stories from back in Mexico mm-hmm. and here in the U.S. with scenes from telenovelas. Almost creating like an alter- alternate universes like within mm-hmm. the short story. And you also mentioned when talking about where your parents are from that telenovelas do not show this side of my country and what so what made you want to like think to combine these different cultures you and your family experience into one piece and how do you feel about the fact that telenovelas don't show that side of your country mm-hmm. um well so as you could see from the story like i watched telenovelas with my mother all the time and um this story actually started from like small micro essay that i did in class mm-hmm. and then my professor ended up telling me like this could be really great to like incorporate into like a whole story and I didn't even think about kind of like putting telenovelas like in my story like scenes from them and then like kind of putting my own life into it and kind of comparing them and showing how like they're similar or they're different and all that kind of stuff and telenovelas have played a big part in my life you know I've watched them growing up and it was a way for like my mom and I to kind of sit there and just enjoy each other's company and talking with one another and even while we're watching telenovelas or during breaks, my mom would tell me, oh, like she will tell me her memories from her country. Like mm-hmm. when, you know, like, oh, like when I was your age, I did this. And she'll like tell me what street she was on, what restaurant she used to work at, the cafes, mm-hmm. what she wore, like the transportation to go home and see my grandma. And it's like just I was so how do I say it? So I was just filled with so much information of my mom, like. Mm-hmm growing up back in Mexico and I would always have these scenes in my head like mm-hmm. trying to imagine what my mom was doing or like yeah. trying to envision the streets that she was in that I hope to, I get to see one day mm-hmm. and go see and be like wow like this is where my mom actually was talking about like the streets mm-hmm. she was talking about or the cafe that she was talking about because she grew up in Mexico City mm-hmm. so like it's not that she grew up there but she ended up moving to Mexico City mm-hmm. at the age of 16 because she wanted to find a job and in the village that we're from there's not much like opportunity for like anyone to really make money and she wanted to help my grandparents out financially and um yeah i mean i always wonder too why telenovelas always show one side of the story or like of the country and not the others like my mom tells me about like the poverty that existed when she was there like the immense poverty that even she included was um going through and that was one of the main reasons that she ended up moving to mexico city to get a job and help my grandparents financially and it's just interesting how it works with telenovelas because they're almost exaggerated to the point where you're laughing. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. laughing with my mom. My mom is laughing. We're just like, are you serious? Like, they're the really, drama. like, yeah. the drama, everything about it. And even the acting, too. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's yeah, amazing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, what is this? And sometimes I just want to turn the TV on, like, off. Like, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. no, I'm done it's with cringy. it. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you're like looking at everything going on and it's like, whoa, like, what's going to happen and this and that. But, you know, you get older and it's like, this is really what I've been watching since I was a kid, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, um, I know something huge that happens in telenovelas is, like, the huge church scene that happens where it's, like, the lover comes back and is, like, wants to live, <laughs> wants to, like, win the love back of the person that's about to get married. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the huge, like, ballroom weddings that they have with, like, the huge, like, the beautiful dresses mm-hmm. with, like, the veil and, like, all this stuff. Like, it's everything. It's all about, like, money and, like, spending and all that kind of stuff. And the drama and, like, the love that's going on like relationships and all that kind of stuff in a way it is in a okay so in a way it is true the way like telenovelas are portrayed and stories are told but they exaggerate it just to kind of grab attention of others and i see like even when i go to like my mom's friends houses and we come from low-income families you know and even to go there and it's like you see where you know we live and we live in these small tiny apartments or stuff like that and it's like i see these parents watching these telenovelas of people with like mansions and cars and like all these luxuries you know and it's like to think that we're here in the city living like a whole country away we're watching these and this is what we're watching people with all this luxury and money and riches that sadly you may not get to have because you know Mm -hmm. we're here in this country and we're from low-income families that are trying to 
kind of make it here in New yeah. York City because it's yeah. expensive living here. And most people, too, in Mexico don't have that. And it's it's interesting because, like, for example, like, I have family in Mexico that think that just because we're here in the city, we're oh, so yeah. rich right, right. that we could, like, they need something. Okay, like, oh, you could, can you send me this? Can you send mm-hmm. me that? And it's like, you don't know the struggle, yeah. what it's right. like for my parents or for us to get what we want or yeah. even mm-hmm. to make sure that we have enough money to buy groceries for the week right mm-hmm. like you know? right. like when my mom uh before my mom came to new york she literally thought that the streets were paved with gold wow like wow. literally thought that so when she came she she was like so excited like coming off the the plane at jfk and she was like where's the gold she was she was like why is it gross <laughs> my mom my mom literally was so surprised that yeah. the city wasn't like made of diamonds the idealization is definitely yeah. present within mm-hmm. telenovelas yeah yeah so evelyn do you think that uh people watch telenovelas so often as an escape from their own reality like is that the case like do you think that it's just maybe we're impoverished or maybe we're working so hard just to make ends meet and that's just a telenovela is just an escape to get away from that is that possible or is that just way Mm -hmm. off i don't know i mean i think i don't think it's a yes or no question really i feel like it depends on the person who's watching i mean i know personally like when i watch these telenovelas with my mom sometimes i ask her in between like oh imagine if we had this or imagine Mm -hmm. we had that and then it just brings up a whole new conversation like we would have been doing this we would have been doing that and all that kind of stuff and i feel like yes in a way because deep down even i while i'm watching it's like i try to envision what my life would be like if i had these sort of things you know Mm -hmm. because deep down we want more than what we have right and it goes for all of us but with telenovelas i try to see it more as an entertainment Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah but you know there there's always that in the back of your mind where you look at it and it's like wow like is it possible to really achieve all of this that yeah. these people mm-hmm. on tv are accomplishing so quick too mm-hmm. is it possible to be proposed that way he's bungee jumping off a building <laughs> <laughs> his twin brother who's evil is actually really sweet and you actually were right. right. in the set. Uh, um so going back to your story um you talked about your father's alcoholism and how it affects you and your family especially your mother but there is a short part in the story where you say, sometimes my father's actions are understandable to me. He had an unpleasant childhood and he never fails at explaining it to me over and over again. I can never look him in the eye while he tells me his stories of the past. Sometimes he tell me when he was sober and other times he tell me after drinking a couple of beers. My grandpa was abusive and an alcoholic. He was not fond of memories with my grandpa. You show a more vulnerable side of your father, as well as a cycle of addiction. So knowing what we know now today about addiction, does this help when it comes to whether or not you should forgive your father? Also, do you believe that he will be able to get the help that he needs? What do you think could have broken this cycle of his alcoholism? Wow, okay. (laughs) So first off, I actually, in the first, like, final draft that I sent in for the class, I didn't put that part, I believe, Mm -hmm. in the story. Or I may have, but just a tiny bit. So from the last time that I sent this in and to now, a lot has changed Mm -hmm. positively in my household. So while I was going to, I was editing my story for the podcast, I was looking through it and I felt like I didn't humanize my father as much as I should have. Mm -hmm. I started to realize that I really put him as if he was this evil person. And the way things are going right now with him, I felt like he didn't deserve that. Mm-hmm. because um personally so what's been going on so two months ago my father ended up not feeling too well so he finally decided i'm gonna go to the doctor and see if anything's wrong mm-hmm. he did and the doctors told him that if he doesn't take care of himself and stop drinking that he would end up getting type 2 diabetes mm-hmm. oh, wow. so i guess for that like my father it hit him and i mm-hmm. guess that was a doctor finally telling him hey like you gotta stop or else this will happen that was enough for him to be like oh, okay, so I need to snap Mm -hmm. out of it and stop drinking and take care of myself. Because not even when I would tell him or when my mom would tell him or my sisters would tell him, you need to stop drinking, that was never enough for him to stop. And it finally took a doctor to tell him straight up, if you don't take care of yourself soon, you're going to get really sick and it's not going to be good. It was an eye-opener for him. It was an Mm -hmm. eye-opener for him. And he's on medication. He's checking his blood um, pressure every day, making sure that he's eating healthy and he hasn't been drinking. He stopped. He doesn't even, like, yeah. I don't even see beers in the fridge anymore. Wow. I, I'm not worried now when I'm coming home from school that mm-hmm. he, um, 
I'm sorry. It's just, you know, like last yeah. semester was really tough. Mm-hmm. That's why I wrote this story last semester because things were really bad at home because he was always out drinking and mm-hmm. I just didn't know what to expect mm-hmm. when I would come home because my sisters are there and I'm mm-hmm. here till late. Mm-hmm. I had to withdraw from a class too because I, w- I was coming home late all the time and I didn't feel comfortable knowing that my father would be home drunk, mm-hmm. not have dinner for my sisters and they'd be hungry, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, it takes a toll on you because then my mother also works too because now my both parents have to work because mm-hmm. it's the only way to maintain a family economically. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it can't just be my father working. And it's like my mother's working late too. So it's like my sisters are alone. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happens. They would lock themselves in my room yeah, to mm-hmm. make sure that they wouldn't bother him or he wouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I just, I couldn't be in class knowing that my sisters were alone. My father was drunk in the living room and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't stand that. Yeah. But thankfully, things are better, and I'm not worried about that anymore. And he, mm-hmm. he's, and he's actually trying to form a relationship with me, like as a father and daughter. And it's a really great feeling, yeah. really great feeling. Like just him asking me how my day was, or mm-hmm. um, really listening to me and making sure that I'm okay. Like he's never done that before. Mm-hmm. And I even, this is gonna sound like weird but like i used to not be able to look my father in the eye when he would talk to me mm-hmm. i just couldn't and I, I mentioned it in my story i felt like his pain or whatever he was going through was like kind of like yeah. shooting at me too and mm-hmm. i felt like i was look when i looked him in the eye it's like i was feeling that too mm-hmm. and i there was this part of me that always hated him for like all the things that he's done in the past and i just couldn't face him in the eye and now even something as simple as making eye contact with him i'm able to do now wow. you know smile and like talk with him and really interact because in the end i realized i know i even told my mom this like this is what i wanted throughout these like all these years mm-hmm. that is all i wanted like just form a relationship with my father and be like this is my father and like be able to say that this is my father mm-hmm. because i was even embarrassed to even say that he was my yeah. father you know and yeah i mean i'm just really grateful that things are going really well we with my dad yeah. yeah that's so good to hear. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's just gonna keep getting better well, yeah hopefully yeah. like yeah. We're, we're, we're rooting for you yeah. and your dad yeah. no worries <laughs> yeah. thank you with that thank you evelyn like this has been really great uh, every story that you've brought forth to us has brought like another light to these situations that we that we don't normally hear about mm-hmm. um so yeah really thank you for that yeah thank for you sure. so thank much you. thanks <laughs> And so that concludes our ninth episode of the fourth season in the years that followed. We are also excited to bring you new stories in the coming months, amplifying these younger voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear about. You can always find out more at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We also have an Instagram and Facebook if you want to get some behind-the-scenes content. We'd like to thank everyone who helps make this possible, including our sound engineers and editors, our episode writers, our website developers, everyone behind the scenes here at Life Out Loud. And to our audience, we hope you love these stories as much as we did. It was a joy to bring them to you. A special thank you to everyone listening in, and we'll see See you you soon, and good night! night!